Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Magic the Gathering unofficial audiobooks podcast. I'm your humble narrator, Phil Dawson, and I have to say I am very humbled, but feeling thrilled at the response to this so far. Just as an update for you loyal listeners, well, first, I apologize for those of you who listen every week. This past week, I was in full business mode, helping get things ready for the brewery here in Japan we're opening. It's just thrilling, and those who are patrons were alerted to the delay. Uh, anyway, I'd love to tell you all about that someday, and maybe when we finish this book, which is very soon, and we'll have like a celebratory podcast, because while this one is being released, we are currently at over 98,000 listens to the podcast, and that's just on Spotify alone. I don't have the listenership numbers elsewhere, but after this episode, I think we'll cross the 100K mark, which is like, wow. Also, we're over... 200 five-star ratings on Spotify. Hello? And I continue to receive great messages from some of you listeners out there, which is really inspiring and fun, and seeing messages from people just finishing the Brothers War or working their way through Planeswalker. It's so fun to see, and I really appreciate it. Speaking of the Brothers War, at this time, too, uh, we're closing in on the release of that set in the card game, and I think about it a lot. I can't wait to see more of the art I can't wait to see the little lore quotes at the bottom of the cards. It's just going to be, I know, a magical experience, right? Tying everything we've done together, right? And while we have moved past that, I mean, it's still the whole reason that this project exists. So I'm so pumped. I'm so excited. Uh, You can follow or write me on Twitter or Instagram, Phil and Sendai. And if you want, the Patreon is always open to your support. And I appreciate my patrons so very much so. Uh, Let's keep it up, everyone. I'm so happy you are here. Let's go. Chapter 22 The front lines were thick with angels and scorpion engines, so thick that Joyra had to battle her own forces to reach it. From behind, she grabbed a scorpion stinger and let the darting tail fling her up onto the back of its metal carapace. She caught a foothold and sent her sword swinging into the epaulet of an angel warrior before it. The creature was fast. His soul torch clattered up and hurled her blade to one side. He followed the stroke with a dagger slash. Joyra reared back from the strike. She kicked the creature's dagger hand, spinning him to one side, and stabbed with her sword. The angel grasped his side and whirled. The soul torch swung in a blaze toward Joyra's face. She staggered, trying to bring her sword to bear, but she was too slow. With a white-blue sizzle, the torch impacted. Joyra instinctively crumpled atop the scorpion's back and cradled her face, expecting to find only charred tatters of flesh. Her skin was whole and healthy. The torch had impacted the scorpion's intervening stinger. The metal tail thrust back the magic brand. It slid from the angel's grasp and toppled. The sizzling tip of it fell against the wound in the angel's side. In a white-blue flash, the creature's soul was sucked away. Lifeless, the angel collapsed. The torch flared. Joyra scrabbled across the scorpion's back and snatched up the torch. She lifted it just in time. The brand blocked a descending magna sword. The broad blade clattered aside and sliced deep into the scorpion's back plate. Joyra rose. An archangel towered over her, struggling to wrench its magna sword from the collapsing scorpion. She rammed the white-hot tip of the torch up beneath the archangel's silver mask, catching it in the fold between the throat and jaw. The archangel shuddered, caught between a snagged blade and an incandescent death. Then, in a terrific clamor of wings and armor, the creature convulsed its life away. The torch shuddered and trembled as it drew in the powerful being's life force. 
Joyra gritted her teeth in determination to hold on to the too-hot handle. A roar erupted, fury and agony embodied. A death clutched the archangel. Its own soul torch dropped, and Joyra let go of her dagger to catch it. Meanwhile, the angel toppled back, a great tree falling in a forest. Its wings cleared a broad path beneath it. As Joyra caught her breath, she saw Turd scurry out upon the fallen giant and snatch up three more torches lying among the angel dead. They were overflowing with power, having drawn into themselves the souls of hundreds of warriors. Turd used the ragged end of his tunic as a hot pad to grab the torches. He scuttled back just as another angel descended to strike him down. One wave of the three sputtering brands pushed the creature back among its cohorts. Joyra grabbed Turd's collar and hauled him away from the front. In his turn, Diego caught Joyra's collar and hauled her back. Moments later, a fireball struck the spot where she and Turd had been, driving the destroyed scorpion into a blackened crater. I have two torches, Diego gasped as he drew back his comrades in retreat. The lizard man's scales stood on end in the heat of battle. You have two torches and the goblin has three. That should be enough. We have to get back to the ship. Yes, Joyra agreed, breathless from fighting and from holding on to the cometary torches. Back to the ship. This will be enough to get us flying. Shoot some deadly shots, maybe even plane shift. Joyra looked toward the ship. It was a carnival-lit hulk on the hillside, beside the glowering caverns of Arizona, the black masses of refugees crowding into the ship. Behind that tableau, a curtain of chaos gnawed at the edge of Jabbok Isle. Maybe even plane shift. Cease this battle! Urza cried imperiously, his figure blazed with light aback Jaradargaz. Dragon and rider descended in a column of mana energy before the storm of angels and falcons. Cease this battle or be destroyed! I am Urza Planeswalker! Tremble before him! Came a voice in a mocking answer from among the angel horde. Radiant emerged. Her figure was lit with an incandescent heat equal to Urza's. A group of archangels accompanied her, four before, four behind, four more around the ruler of the realm. Her appearance brought a sudden hush to the battle lines. She was strange-eyed, beautiful, and terrifying. Tremble before this petulant godchild, this despoiler of worlds, destroyer of planes. Urza has come, my children, and when Urza comes, death always follows. I have come to take you out of death. I have come only to carry away those I call refugees, those you call refuse, Urza shouted from the hovering drake. Let us leave in peace and we shall kill no more. It is too late for bargains. Your war is collapsing our plane around us. She gestured with her war staff toward the advancing curtain of chaos. You come first, bringing Phyrexia. You come last, bringing destruction. Urza lifted his own battle staff. Forgive, fair lady. I brought Phyrexia here true, but you have given it a home in your war minister Gorig and throughout your court. The very spells you created to drive the stink of Phyrexia from your palace are the spells that allowed Phyrexia to dwell there and surround you and turn you against your own people. Your plane shrinks not because of me, but because of these soul torches of yours, harvesting the life of your people, your plane, for Phyrexia. That is why chaos threatens. That is why your plane is dying. In the echoing stillness of the battle, whining servos and pulsing wing beats gave the air a dead drone. Beyond that sound hovered the approaching rumble of matter, giving itself over to chaos. Come with us, all of you. Come with us to another world. Come where all who are good can live and where Phyrexians beneath the glimmer moon will die. Come with us, Radiant. Cease this senseless war and come with us. She seemed to consider, her face for a moment lovely amid swirling hair and wings of light. 
Then she spoke, and death followed her words. Kill them all. To a man. Kill everyone. Radiant herself made good the command. She hurled a wall of force from outstretched fingers. The vast wave of energy ate the very air. It arced toward Urza, too fast to stop, too huge to escape. It would not kill him, but it would stun him long enough that angelic death could fall on him from the sky. Diradargaz rose. The ancient fire drake spread her wings in a giant shield before Urza. He had to cling to her back not to be thrown from the vertical saddle. The blast struck Jaradargaz full in the belly and chest. Scale and skin and muscle disintegrated. She dissolved away as though in acid. Ribs hung for a moment, vacant to flesh, and then dripped into white smears. Jaradargaz released one last, long wail before lungs and throat and head were all gone. Wings, too, vanished. By the time the wave spent itself, all that remained was spine and shoulder blades and half a pelvis. She had sacrificed herself. It was the highest honor among lizard folk. Urza escaped the tangled traces of the saddle just before Jaredaragas's remains plunged away. He roared, too. He roared as though she were his own mother. The time of negotiation was done. The time of moderation and sanity was finished. The time of killing had come. Gathering magical might, he hurled himself at the tyrant of heaven. Radiant was ready. She hung in the sky, savoring this moment. Her eyes gleamed madly in the fray. Lith hands swept out to her sides and forward as though in a curtsy. The fingertips trailed long lines of archangels in their wake. They converged on Urza. Heedless, he shot toward her. With a thought, his flesh turned adamantine. Magnasaurs fell in a flurry upon him. Their broad blades rang and clattered. His head smashed them back like a soaring cannonball. What art angels managed to hold on to their blades shuddered in nerveless jangle. Others lost their swords. A few even lost their arms. Urza blasted past them all and ran headlong into Radiant. A lesser being would have been torn in half by the attack, but Radiant had been waiting for this moment. She dodged back in an instant of impact, grabbed hold of the rocketing planeswalker, and with a surge of her wings, hurled herself along with him. She clawed at his face, seeming surprised at its impenetrable warding. Then... Hands soft as silk clutched his sides, and lightning arced from her fingertips. It traced out nerve and muscle and bone and storm within the planeswalker. He trembled and nerverated. Electricity possessed his every tissue. Aside from spasms, he could not move. Smiling bitterly, Radiant carried him above the boiling clouds of angels and falcons and into the wheeling heights. You are not welcome here, Urza. Not now. Not ever. Those soft hands turned iron hard. She flung the paralyzed man upward into the descending ceiling of chaos above the realm. As he went, the last jags of lightning danced across his frame. A white tempest cyclone from her upraised hands, the storm bore him fist-like into the shredding curtain. Urza smashed into the verge. He dissolved away. Chaos grated muscle from bone. He was gone as quickly as Jaredargaz had been. The wind dissipated, and Urza Planeswalker was not even a stain on the dark chaos. Radiant shook her head brushed her hands off. Something, suddenly, was between those hands. Urza took form against her. One hand caught her beneath the jaw, the other arm wrapped her waist. No longer adamantine, those limbs were still implacable, inescapable. He flipped over her and dragged her back down into the roaring battle, down toward the struggling refugees in the battle-torn ship. He forced her to gaze at the sight. Look, Radiant! Look who you are killing! Look what you've become! I know what I am! She gasped out. I know what you are, too! She cast a quick series of spells, prepared and laid aside for this very moment. 
All defenses were stripped from Urza's head. Her fingers grew as long and sharp and curved as daggers. She drove them into his skull. They punched through bone and into his frontal lobe. Urza roared, reconstituting shattered bone and ruptured brain. She was not done, though. Her fingers curled into claws. She raked through gray matter and shattered sinuses and optic cavities. She scooped up the gemstones that were his eyes. With a brutal yank, she hauled them forth. Blind and gaping, his head staved. Urza struggled against tumbling walls of pain. He clutched to her. She was all that kept him aloft. He had to heal. He had to rebuild his being. He could not. Part of that being, the only part that was not a mere projection of his mind, had been ripped away. Those gems defined him. They were the heart of the Brothers' War, Mightstone and Weakstone. They had been his eyes since the blast at Argoth. They had been his eyes since he had become a planeswalker. They were at the heart of his madness, his power. Even in his dying agony for, yes, he was dying, his power was also his weakness. Urza realized how like Karn he was. They were both defined by stones set in their heads. Both lived with them and died without them. Mightstone and Weakstone, they were Urza's effective and cognitive cortex. Without them, he was destroyed. Radiant knew it. With relish, she hoisted the gory things overhead, beyond Urza's feeble reach, and she actually laughed. Gorg had told me about these. He had told me you were like Zansha. She had had a Phyrexian heart, and you have Phyrexian eyes. I told Gorg I needed only look you into these eyes to know that you were mad, that I was right. Yes, this is my moment of triumph. I found the Phyrexian in my realm, Urza. I found the Phyrexian. It is you! She smiled, a faint and wicked thing that Urza could no longer see. I've won, madman! Radiant said, staring into the glimmering crystals. In their bloody facets, the battle below played itself out. My work is done. Gorig will finish off your forces and our rebels. He will cleanse the realm. That is his job. He will even capture your ship. What a curiosity! And with these power stones, the eyes of Urza, I will restore my heaven. A thought occurred to her. Funny that you tried to destroy my world to charge a power stone. But in the end, it is your power stone that will save it. She glanced down at the convulsing body of Urza, clinging to her in its death throes. I rather like whispering these things into your dying ears. Perhaps I will take you with me. Yes, no better way to assure you are dead. So saying, she cast a final spell and disappeared from the decaying heights of the plain. She took with her the Mightstone and Weakstone and the dying body of the Planeswalker. Before Weatherlight's bow roared a wall of absolute destruction. Entropy ground rock and grass and tree to nothing, nothing at all. Behind the ship's stern roared another wall. Angels turned demonic, rending the machines thrown hopelessly against them. Both walls advanced, closing in on the ship in her overflowing hold. There's no more room! shouted Turd from the hatch. His webbed foot stomped on the shoulder of one refugee as if he could pack them more tightly. Then let them stand on the deck! Jorah replied testily. She lifted the third soul torch over the exposed conduit. They had to tear up planks beside the wheel to find where the lines of power descended to the crystal. The ship had shuddered with each stripped board as though it 
felt the wound in its very being. Beneath the planking ran a channel of metal sinews like an exposed nerve bundle. It led down to the power stone in the core of the engine. Taking a deep breath, Joyra lowered the sizzling torch so that its butt contacted the conduit. With a lightning jolt, the torch emptied its charge and the tip of it all went black. How's that? Joyra called down the speaking tube to Karn. Better, came the metallic reply. Almost enough to lift off. We'll be top heavy. We'll need more power to keep the ship upright. How many more? Two more torches, Joyra said, casting the emptied one aside and lifting another. No. How many more refugees? As the energy surged into the conduit, Joyra looked at the almost full deck and the crowd struggling to reach the ship. Too many! Too many! They've broken through! shouted Turd. He clung to the rails of the ship and pointed at the sky. Angels flooded down in a great storm. Permission to fire! Permission to fire! Joyra fitted the last torch into the slot. Fire! Fire! Between goblin fingers, fog lanterns rattled violently. The parabolic plates slid into position. Twin red beams stand out from them and tore into the cascade of angels. Fire erupted among them. The downrushing wave faltered a moment. Roars of rage turned to howls of despair. Joyra glanced over her shoulder. The final hundred passengers were rushing up the gangplank and packing themselves in on the deck. In moments, the ship was fully loaded. Cast off the gangplank! Cast off the grapples! Draw the anchor! Prepare for liftoff! Power surged blue-white through the exposed conduits. Joyra backed away. She caught hold of the ship's wheel and shouted, Take us up, Karn! Bring us around in a quick turn to port, heading 165-31-16! Lantern rays! Clear us a path through the battle! Hold on! A tremor of anticipation moved through the crowd and through the great hall itself. The tremor turned into a rumbling groan. The engines below decks growled to life. A grinding noise rose between the landing spines and ground. Knees buckled under the first jolting advance of the vessel. Ponderous and clumsy, Weatherlight nosed up and away from the rocky niche where it had sat. Energy coursed into dazzling rivulets along the exposed conduits. The prow curved dangerously near the advancing curtain of chaos. Hard to port! Joyra shouted. The ship listed away from the ravening oblivion. The refugees crouched on the deck, clung tightly to the rails and each other. With a magnificent roar, the ship nosed up away from the planner envelope. A ragged cheer moved wave-like across the deck till a new danger came to the fore. Flights of angels and archangels converged on them. Magnaswords swung toward the refugees like scythes to heads of wheat. Down, everyone! Joyra ordered, her voice raw. Fire at will! Beams of killing light erupted from shuddering lanterns and cut jagged lines across the vanguard. The acid atomizer dissolved away any creatures that lingered. Angels tumbled from the skies, their spirits whirling ghost-like from their riven forms and into the soul torches along the ship's hull. With each new life, Weatherlight gained speed. Still, the beams did not catch them all, and angels poured over the rails. Refugees shrieked, magnaswords sliced into them, red fountains erupted. Blast spitters, fire, beams, fire, fight, all of you, fight! Swords and belaying pins and chains, the crew led the charge. Viashino and Goblin and Human, they fought. Great blasts of molten glass belched out from the bombards, catching and slaying angels in their hundreds. Rays of crimson light burned through feather to muscle to bone. Still they came. Out of the throat of heaven came the killer angels. Spirit after spirit poured from sundered bodies into the torches, into Weatherlight's power stone. Out of it flowed red beams that slew all the more. Every death fed the killing machine. Faster, Karn! Joyra shouted. Punch through them! Plane shift speed! There came no answer from the speaking tube, only the roar of engines and the hot smell of heat-stressed metal. Radiant reappeared in her throne room, her sanctuary. 
Ever since Gorik had cast mirror spells on the windows, this room had become her refuge. Now into her refuge, she had brought the dying form of her foe, the gems that were his life. It was a simple enough thing to decide what to do with Urza. She stripped it from her waist and tossed his crumpled figure to the nearby platform. She wasn't much interested in Urza anymore. It had been merely the package that had carried these stones. Now, broken open, he lay discarded on the floor. These stones, though... Radiant lifted them in a gory hand. She had not spent the energy it would take to transform her fingers from the dagger claws that they had become. She rather enjoyed them in their fierce aspect. They looked so powerful like this, reflecting the gentle glow of the stones and mantled in the planeswalker's blood. Radiant glanced up. The mirrors were full of her glimmering victory. From every angle, the darkness gave back fragmentary visions of her beauty. A forest of eyes gazed at her, no longer merely her eyes, but the eyes of Urza, too. You were like Sarah, weren't you? Her quiet voice echoed ceaselessly off the dark mirrors. You could see in this room, even when the windows were lenses. You could make sense of the visions of this throne. Of course you could. Your eyes had a facet for every window. But now your eyes are mine. Urza did not move. His sundered head leaked blood and brain onto the floor. Gorik will be sad he was not here to collect your soul, Radiant said wistfully. Ah, but I have your eyes. Such beautiful eyes. The crystals rolled languidly apart on her hand. She saw only then the ragged point of fracture between the two stones. She had known the Mightstone and Weakstone were halves of a whole, but seeing how they might be joined intrigued her. Taking one crystal in each hand, she studied them. It looks as though they fit together just like this. Breath failing, strength failing, Baron had crawled to the saddle of Ramadargaz, strapped himself in. The young fire drake struggled toward one army of angels and away from another. Before him, a refugee ship fought through the battle, mantled in spectral lights. Behind him, a furious demon labored at the head of a hellish legion. It was a unique vantage there, suspended in the relative calm between two deaths, between pain and despair. Baron knew he was done for. He could not fight, he could not escape, but he did have one final spell and the power to bring it into being. The question remaining was one of timing and focus. What would be the best use of the spell? Perhaps he could compel Radiant to kill Gorig, or... Gorig to kill Radiant, or an Archangel to make a suicide stand to cover the ship's retreat. Gorig was more than a Phyrexian monster. He was the soul battery. Suddenly, Baron knew what he would do. He rolled onto his back. Gorig labored down toward him out of the darkening heavens. The beast's torso blazed blue-white in anticipation. It was a simple ratio, something about the velocity of A minus the velocity of B, divided by the distance between them over against the velocity of B, plus the velocity of C divided by the distance between them, something Urza could have calculated with a mere thought. Baron was more mage than mathematician, and he had trouble breathing, let alone calculating. Instead, he simply waited till the demon's eyes ablaze, dagger teeth drooling over the mage master's legs, hovered just out of reach. Summoning the last bit of his strength, Baron cast a ray of command. The fury in the beast's eyes shifted from Baron down to the approaching weatherlight down to the main deck where the captain stood. With new ardent speed, the Phyrexian monster dropped into a dive and screamed his way toward the beleaguered ship.
Mightstone in her right hand and Weakstone in her left, Radiant slowly brought the two together. As the rough facets of the split edges approached each other, the light in the crystals redoubled. They suddenly glowed brightly in her hands. They cast her shadow, giant and menacing, through the aviary. In a million mirrors, Radiant glimpsed herself transfigured by the light. A glinting smile crossed her teeth. Such power! Such power! She brought the stones closer together. Light flared brighter still and brought with it heat. Intense beams leapt out of each facet of the stones. They struck silvered glass and ricocheted through the aviary. The vast structure seemed the interior of a giant gemstone glimmering brilliantly around Radiant. Light bathed every dark corner. It shone across the ruined gardens below. It danced on bodies of dead birds. It gilded the still form of Urza Planeswalker. Refulgent, nimbic, luciferous, radiant light. If they were lenses instead of mirrors, Radiant mused idly, all this light would spill outward and be lost. But, clever me, it remains here. It is mine. She turned the weak stone slowly, matching its fracture marks exactly with that of its brother. With a final slow ecstasy, she eased them together. The stones never touched. Lightning awoke between them. The glare was blinding. The heat was incinerating. The crystals, glimmering faintly when apart, were holocaustal together. Their effulgence filled every mirror. The light had nowhere to go. Each moment grew exponentially brighter. Each instant grew exponentially hotter. Radiant tried to pull her hands apart, but the stones called to each other. They burned out her eyes. I'm the mad one! She gasped. Next moment did not matter. Angel flesh seared away. Angel bone exploded. Blood flash-boiled. Innards puffed into black smoke that itself was bleached white and then dispersed altogether. Radiant was gone. The lantern in darkness had burned herself out from within. Someone else was there in her place. Someone hovered there, the embodiment of the stones, the creature created and sustained by them. It was the conflict between those stones, the world-shattering conflict of irreconcilable opposites that were even so halves of a whole that granted Urza life. It immolated his old flesh, and in the same flash, fitted him with a new body, a glorified body. It formed around the locus of his being. It formed around the stones that were his eyes. And next moment, the core of heat and light could no longer be contained. Every mirror in the mile-high atrium shattered. Hunks of silvered glass flung outward and crashed into the grids and plates Gorig had said would save Radiant. They buckled out and flew away, insubstantial as paper. The blaze followed them. It arced through air. It filled the yellow and shrinking skies. Urza gazed out through the blinding brilliance. He saw the explosion peel back the skin of Sarah's palace. He saw it pulverize walls within. He watched as blast lines punched holes deep into the floating citadel, shattered and crushed the palace listed slowly. Streamers of force tore through its web of levitation spells. The place released a horrific moan and rolled over. The massive hand of gravity tightened its fingers around the thing and dragged it downward. It receded, a coiling sea of smoke trailing behind it. The broken hull soon seemed only the falling, spinning seed of a maple tree. Then it struck the rising floor of the plain. Chaos swallowed it whole. All around Urza, the edges of the blast were disappearing against the closing. Before the tide of destruction could sweep him under, Urza stepped from the dying realm.
Only moments after the deafening explosion that destroyed the palace, Joyra heard an even more ominous sound. Through the groan of overheated engines and the shriek of dying refugees and howls of rabid angels, she heard a high, keening wail. Something was falling out of the sky, too fast to avoid. She looked up. The meteor hurtled through the angel throng, ripping wings from bodies and rending anything in its stuck. It grew larger, its manic teeth glinting in the moment that it hung above deck. Its eyes were yellow as lemon wedges. With a sudden, horrific boom, the demon creature struck the white-hot power stone conduits. Its head was pulverized by the impact. Its wings peeled away. But the thing's massive metal torso remained. The soul portals on either side of it flared, emptying their charges into the engines. Weatherlight lunged forward. The beam weapons stabbed out with twice their previous intensity. Whole flights of angels disintegrated. Souls and mass flooded into the flashing torso. The ship gained speed. Angels flung themselves away from the juggernaut and hovered in stunned terror in space for a moment before realizing the curtain of chaos had closed on them. The plane was disintegrating. The point of critical collapse had been reached. Nothing would stop it now. The white manna that rained from the folding skies poured into the power stone of weatherlight. Every creature caught by the advancing curtain turned into a spiral of life force which was drawn into the sparking torso of the beast into the engine. Joyra could do nothing but stand and stare in grotesque fascination and awe. The angel armies fell back as the refugee craft sped into clear space beyond. To starboard appeared Ramadargaz, with Baron lashed to him. There was no sign of Urza. Unless the dragon flew just above the ship at the moment of the plane shift, it and Baron would be left behind. Plane shift before the final collapse, Baron shouted. Any mortal left in the plane will die. I know, I know, Joyra returned. You hear that, Karn? We need full speed. We need it now. Too many passengers, Karn roared from below. His voice was strained as though he propelled the ship by main strength. Too much weight! Before the bow, another army of angels hung. They were disintegrating before another collapsing edge of the plane. Suddenly, they were gone. Only the weatherlight and Ramadargaz remained in the collapsing plane. Curtains of chaos closed ahead and behind them. Now or never, Karn! Joyra shouted. They reached the wall. The prow of the ship sank into the chaos and dissolved. In the breath afterward, the ship and all those aboard were gone. The invasion force had been gone eight hours, and the sun had at last quit the skies over Talaria. The crowd that had gathered for Weatherlight's launch had remained, but their high spirits had dissolved. The festive morning had given way to a speculative noon, which in turn surrendered to a fearful and prayerful evening. Night now lay full and cold over the academy walls. Someone had fetched candles from the great hall, but a mocking wind put out the hopeful little lights moments after they were coaxed to life. A few lanterns had replaced them, glaring baldly across the mulling multitudes. Quiet prayers were becoming whispers of doubt. A restless breeze moved among the trees. The crowd turned its attention to the distant deeps of the sky. Something moved there among the lazy clouds of night. Something large. The shapes grew rapidly and silently on the wind. The crowd that had lingered throughout the long, hot day began to draw back in dread. Those lurking in doorways withdrew inside, and those out in the open pressed back towards doorways. A reddish streamer of flame outlined devilish jowls and a great, rapacious eye. It's a demon! Y yes, but one of ours! The dragon's figure was clear now, above the treetops. In moments, it soared over the walls and flapped ferociously above the courtyard. Ramadaragaz. In his wake, black against the blue-black of night, there came a giant hull. 
From its sides jutted smiling faces and waving hands. The weather light. It was some months later when Joyrush stood again at the prow of the ship, feeling the sea winds in her hair. She breathed deeply and remembered a time long ago when she stood in her secret spot on the prow of Talaria and dreamed of far-off places and soulmates. Her girlhood dreams had not come to pass and had, in fact, brought her much pain over the years. Life had been good nonetheless. She was among the greatest artificers in the world, a trusted companion of Urza Planeswalker and, for the time being, the ad hoc captain of the grand ship Weatherlight. She had explored earthly paradises, had run forges in hell, had fought wars in heaven, and had traveled the plains with a silver man and a skyship. How are things looking down there, Karn? She asked through the speaking tube that emerged at the prow. Crystal's supply of energy is limitless, Karn replied. His energy had also increased of late. The orphan child of Urza had at last found his home. At the heart of the ship, he feared would be the end of him. The planeswalker had returned from Sarah's realm, chastened by his victory. Unexplainably to anyone, he had begun to show a fatherly affection toward Karn, saying the silver man was formed in his own image. Whether by plan or happenstance, Urza's first thinking, feeling artifact creature had become the heart of his legacy for the world. Karn had even learned a little bit about humor. Is there anything you'd like me to shoot? No thanks, Karn, Jorah said. Steady as she goes. Aye, aye. Yes, it had been quite a life so far. No soulmates, but quite a life. Or were there soulmates? The tip of Zalfir jutted just ahead, a rocky prominence behind which stretched a broad and bountiful land. Civil wars were concluded thanks to the wisdom and power of a certain Talarian wizard, and the country had pledged a tract of land for human refugees from Sarah's realm. That was the purpose of this trip. Joyra, Karn, and the crew of the Weatherlight were conducting 363 human refugees to their new home in Zalfir. Joyra's mind just now was not on any of those 363, but rather on the figure that stood red-swathed and magnificent on the prominence of stone. Heart catching in her throat, Joyra shouted the order that would bring the ship slowly up to hover just above the prominence. Smiling broadly despite herself, Joyra called out to the man standing there. Teferi! E excuse me! Lord Mage Teferi of Zalfir! Good to see you again. And you, came the genuine reply. The simple flip of his arm, the man levitated up to the shipboard. He spread his cloak in wide majesty as unseen arms of magic lowered him to stand before Joyra. He bowed low, returned her smile, set hands on hips. I hear you have some new citizens for my nation. Yes, Jorah said. Three hundred and sixty-three. Fine, fine. You hope you're planning to help them settle in? Jorah tipped her head regretfully. I can stay the day. Urza wants a ship back for other errands. Teferi nodded, his eyes darkening in disappointment. Some other time then, perhaps? Why don't you come back with me to Talaria? she suggested. You've lots of friends there. Artie Shovelhead is aboard. He would be happy to see you. <laughs> I'm lucky to be alive after all I did to him. The fairy wore a chagrined smile. It's hard to believe a hundred-pound kid would pick on a twelve-hundred-pound golem. Still, I'll have to see him again later. Anyone can fight a war. It's maintaining peace that takes all the real work. He looked her up and down. Well, joy of Gitu? take these people to their new homes. Yes, my friend, she replied. 
Yes. I'd really hoped Joyra and Teferi would get together. After all, a master artificer and a master mage would make natural partners. Oh well, perhaps it will come in time. And on Talaria, time is one thing we will never run out of. Baron, Mage Master of Talaria. At last, Urza is sane. He remembers battling his brother Mishra 3,000 years ago and regrets the destruction they caused. He remembers the death of his surrogate brother, Ratapi, his best friend Zancha, and is grateful for their lives together. He is capable at last of true regret and gratitude. That goes a long way. He's at last capable of having true friends. Urza not only remembers his past, he has taken responsibility for it. He resurrected time-ravaged Talaria, did penance for Argoth, destroyed a small corner of Phyrexia, and even saved the refugees of Sarah's realm. As I write this, I sit with Urza in his high study. Evening winds of Talaria are hot and pregnant with life. The sound of night birds has begun, haunting and beautiful. The Phyrexian gorge lies quiet, empty now for nearly a decade. The only other sound comes from the Great Hall. There's a dance tonight, and a whole new generation of Talarian students are having fun. I tap my foot absently to the distant sound of rebecks and drums. The master raises his face from the book he is reading. It is his wife's account of the Brothers' War. He's been reading it very gravely during the last month, his thoughtful expression broken at moments into wistful remembrance. The smile that appears on his face now is something different, though. How late did this dance run tonight? Shrug. I said they could dance till the glimmer moon went down, well after midnight, if the sound is bothering you. No! Urza says with an off-putting hand. It's just, I, I've been rereading this wedding sequence. I, I remember the dances from that day, long ago. I, I don't imagine modern music would quite accommodate the same steps, I rise. Oh, if not, we can teach the players a few old tunes. Yes, Urza is sane. Now I suppose I'll see if he can dance. Baron, Mage Master of Tilapia.